0: Welcome to Convocation. We're really glad to have you join us as we start off Healthy Bodies Week. Throughout this week, the Goshen College Student Women's Association has planned activities for you to participate in, focusing on healthy self-care. We'll start the week by focusing this convocation on creating on working to create a healthy community. How do we create a community where we can encourage each other, build each other up, fight the negative messages that we can so easily struggle with. We'll be hearing from a student group that has compiled body image messages from students across campus. We'll then listen to Julia Baker's This I Believe speech that was aired on NPR in the 2008-2009 school year. She is currently on SST in Peru, and she was very pleased that she could be part of this convo from afar. Following Julia's sharing, we're delighted to welcome Valerie Staples to speak with us. I've often heard Valerie's name in this community when someone wants an expert in the area of eating disorders, and I was privileged to hear her speak at a conference last fall. Valerie has been working for the past nine years as the coordinator of eating disorder services at the University of Notre Dame. She has developed and coordinates a multidisciplinary team on the Notre Dame campus who provide eating disorder consultation and treatment services to students. She herself provides individual and group counseling for students with eating disorders and facilitates a body image yoga group. Prior to this, she worked at Memorial Hospital as the director of an intensive eating disorders program and also did private practice specializing in this area. She's presented at numerous regional eating disorder conferences and at Princeton at the inaugural conference for campus providers of eating disorder treatments. She is a member of the Academy of Eating Disorder Professionals and the Eating Disorder Task Force of Indiana. We're privileged to have her speak in chapel today, or in convo today, sorry Bob. Um, Following her input, the student group will then return to close out our convo time. Thanks for giving us your attention.
1: My sister still struggles to overcome her bulimia. Every time I visit, she tells me I'm too skinny.
2: Because I notice what other people eat, I feel like everyone is watching what I eat and judging me for it. Even when all I have is a salad and I know I'm eating healthily, I think people think my salad is too big or has too much dressing on it.
1: My clothing choices are limited because of my large breasts and I
3: can't share shirts or dresses with my friends. I'd like to have bigger boobs because my clothing choices are limited and I can't fill anything out.
4: Society says it's more acceptable for women to openly worry about their body image, but I think men are just as concerned about the way they look. They just can't act like they are.
5: I have stubby thumbs and toes, which are not feminine, so I'm self-conscious about that. I wish I didn't have to watch
3: what I eat all the time and not have to
5: worry about the consequences of it. I wish it was acceptable to wear sweatpants on a daily basis, but I can't because I don't want people to think I'm a slob.
1: My breasts are uneven and it bothers me.
2: I wish I could accept my weight. I wish everyone else could accept my weight, too.
3: I don't like that I'm big-boned, because no matter how flat my stomach is, I'll never be skinny or an average-sized girl. I love how skinny I look
1: when I wake up in the morning that I don't eat for as long as possible.
5: In seventh grade, I heard a girl in the stall next to me force herself to throw up, and I pitied her. Now, I wish I had the self-control to be bulimic.
4: I'm grateful that I've grown up in a family that is comfortable talking about weight, but it's frustrating when everyone keeps talking about how they're doing on losing weight when I'm just trying to be comfortable with my body. I feel like I should be dieting and exercising more, just like they are.
3: I know that I have a body that some people might envy, and that makes me feel guilty for my dissatisfaction.
5: Even though we don't talk about it, my closest friends compete with each other over how little we can eat.
1: I justify eating only a small salad for dinner by claiming that the rest of the food at the ROT is terrible.
2: My legs are too hairy.
5: It's hard for me to draw the line between watching what I eat and obsessing about eating healthily. The only thing
1: stopping me from being bulimic is my physical inability to make myself throw up.
4: I'd love to date and put myself out there more, but I wonder who could ever love me with this body.
3: I can't look at a picture with myself in it without seeing my bad skin excess fat, and how good everyone else looks.
2: When people talk about the obesity epidemic, I feel like they're talking directly to me, even though in my mind I know that I am a healthy weight for my height and I'm not even in the overweight category, but I still feel the pressure to lose weight.
5: Every day I tell myself that tomorrow I won't eat.
1: For my mother, my weight is, a fair, is fair game as a conversation topic. She doesn't know how much that makes me hate my body and
3: hate her for making me feel that way. My calves are
5: too big, so I can't wear skinny jeans that actually fit me. Sometimes, I, wish, I just wish I could be older and not care anymore about how I look. But then I see all these products that supposedly slowly look of aging. Are we really supposed to hate our bodies all the time? Why can't we see the beauty in wrinkles and saggy skin, in a rounded stomach and stuff like that? Who says looking one way is better than looking another?
1: Sometimes I wish I could be a boy because they don't seem to have the same struggles. But I think they actually do, except they can't talk or complain about their bodies like we women do. Why can't it be out of vogue for women to complain about and hate on their bodies?
2: I believe in figuring out my own way to do things. I believe in the power of numbers. I believe in
0: barbecue.
1: Well, I believe in friendliness.
5: I believe in mankind. This I believe. Today, the last in our series of this, I believe, commentaries from students at Goshen College. The students are in the Writing for Media class taught by Dwayne Stoltzfus. And we selected three of their assigned student essays to share with you. Today, it's Julia Baker.
6: I believe in taking the time to listen to people's stories. I walked into the common room of the Center for Discovery, an eating disorder treatment clinic for teens in California, Glancing around the room, I saw a dozen kids sprawled across leather couches. I was not impressed. I'd left a community that I loved during the spring semester of my freshman year in college, a small private Christian school in Indiana, to return home to the West and seek treatment for my anorexia. I immediately regretted my decision. I had just come from a college world my friends and I were involved in the Peace Club and where I was reading about feminist pedagogy for my women's studies course. I quickly concluded the teens at the center were far below the intellectually rich world I had left. One by one, they introduced themselves. Raven's arms were a maze of scars from many suicide attempts. Starving was her new approach. Miguel was a meth addict. He was always angry. Cuss words littered his speech. Thad was a gay 14-year-old from Massachusetts, whose past two years had been spent in and out of treatment centers for bulimia. For the first week, I shut myself out. Rarely talking, spending hours pressed into the folds of the couch, trying to push the pain away. I was cynical about everyone, including myself. In high school, my friends called me the big ear. I listened to friends' boyfriend woes or complaints about a parent's strict curfew. I love listening to people and take pride in my ability to ask thoughtful questions and show compassion through lending an ear. One day at the center, I told this part of my story to Perla, my therapist. She asked if I had taken the time to listen and ask questions of the other teens at the center. I realized I had not. Being thrown in with people that led such different lives, my compassionate listening was gone and replaced by harsh judgments. After that realization, I listened. I heard people's narratives. I understood the stories behind the Raven's scars. I heard about Miguel's struggle with meth and his journey to become clean. I listened as Thad shared how hard it was to be gay in his conservative East Coast town. I also got to know them as people, not as stereotypes with scars and addictions. Raven was an artist, Miguel was a sponsored skateboarder, Thad was an avid American Idol fan. Before hearing the other teens' narratives, I had dehumanized them. Seeing the way I had treated them, I realized this was the way I was treating myself. I was dehumanizing myself. My disorder consumed me with constant negative thoughts about my body and who I was. I slowly began to realize that I needed to listen just as compassionately to myself. I wouldn't be the person I am today. I wouldn't be the recovering anorexic I am today if I hadn't taken the time to listen.
5: Julia Baker, she's a freshman at Goshen College. This concludes our This I Believe series with Goshen College students. Our thanks to Dwayne Stoltzfus, their instructor, for his aid and help in preparing these fine essays for broadcast.
7: Good morning. I was really excited when I received this invitation to talk with you this morning for a couple of reasons. One is because many, many years ago, uh, it it sort of took me back to my college days. Um, I did my undergraduate work at Manchester College and we also had convocations, so I was feeling kind of nostalgic thinking about going to Convo this morning, so. Um, The other reason I was excited is because the invitation came with um, I could talk about whatever I wanted within the context, obviously, of body image and eating disorders, and um, so that allowed me to Um, to talk about something that I think is very, very important. And that has to do with the language that we use, our speech. We just listened to some very, very powerful words, an experience that someone had, learning how valuable it can be to listen. We also heard some very powerful, critical words, messages that so many people hear over and over every day in their head. Individuals here at Goshen College. Now you may not know the litany of negativity that's going through their thoughts, but you do know these men and women. The students I talk with at Notre Dame on a daily basis share share very similar experiences. That relentless barrage of negative thoughts that go through their head. I want to spend the next few minutes with us, um, with you talking about our language, the words we speak, and the impact that those words have. Now, I've worked in this field for a long time, and when people find out what I do, they often have some very interesting comments and questions. Now, some are very, very sincere and very genuinely want to understand more about eating disorders and try to understand more about the people and their struggles. But then I have to tell you, there are some people whose comments, um, they always kind of surprise me. Um, Comments like, I wish I could be anorexic for a while. Or, you know, I think that bulimia thing might not be so bad. Eat whatever you want, get rid of it, not gain weight. Now I have to believe that if they had any idea, any idea in the world about how emotionally painful and how debilitating an eating disorder could be, they would never say something like that. If they knew how small someone's world becomes when they're consumed with these kind of thoughts. But when someone says something like that, I take that as an opportunity for a teaching moment. And I can educate a little bit. I can educate a little bit about eating disorders, how they're not really about food or weight, that while these behaviors appear to be strange, it's really their best way of coping with things. I can respond, but think about somebody who has an eating disorder or someone who's feeling very insecure about their weight, very vulnerable about their body. What would it be like for them to be standing near somebody who's asking those kind of questions? Imagine what that could trigger for them, the kinds of questions that, that raises in their own minds, the embarrassment, the shame that they experience. Our language frames how we think about, about the world. I don't think it's healthy to talk a lot about calories, about weight, about our bodies. That may not be a big deal for most people who go on a diet, in terms of it turning into an eating disorder. But really, how much time do we need to spend talking about weight, about what we've eaten? There are so many more important conversations to have. Now, my friends know, they know not to go there when they're talking with me. When I go out to lunch with my friends, I don't want to hear that they're, if they're dieting. I don't want to hear about, them reading and questioning the menu about, oh I wonder how that's prepared. Should I have a salad? Are you gonna be good today to have a salad or are you gonna have dessert? Implying that if I had dessert that's not a good thing. I don't want to hear them questioning those things, but again that's an invitation for me to speak. Sometimes I get on my soapbox. Um, Over the years I've kind of toned things down, I'm not quite as preachy as I used to be, but I'm gonna say something. And so now, now I can sort of just give them a look and they know we're not gonna have that kind of conversation. I wanna hear about what's going on with them, with their family, I wanna catch up with them. What do they do, what kind of vacation plans do they have? What kind of great book did they just read? I don't wanna hear what they want to eat or that they feel guilty for eating Guilty for doing something that's normal, it's healthy, it's a necessary task. Now, I'd be lying to you if I told you that every day I wake up and I feel really, really great about how I look. But I can tell you, too, that since I had children, that really has kind of, that helped inform how I talked about myself and the words that I put out. I've paid a lot more attention, attention to what I say out loud, and that's really helped me in terms of my own inner dialogue as well. I didn't want my children to hear me be critical about my body. I didn't want them to to hear a message that indicated that I thought that that was a really important value. And I can distinctly remember an aha moment that I had when my daughter was about three. She came out of her bedroom all excited because she had dressed herself. And when I looked at her, I mean, she came out and she was all mismatched, stripes, plaids, different colors. And sadly, my first thought was just that, it's like, oh my gosh, she's totally mismatched here. Well, thankfully, that was a fleeting thought. I came to my senses, and before anything about the mismatch came out of my mouth, I was able to to be really excited for her that she dressed herself. Because for a three-year-old, that's a huge deal. She was really, really excited. She mastered a skill, and thankfully I was able to be excited with her about that. She was going to daycare, for heaven's sakes. It didn't matter what she had on. That was more about my fear about what people would think of me as a mom letting my child come out looking like that. I did not want her to think that her appearance was more important than the accomplishment that she had made that, that morning. Now, I have some questions I want to ask you. Now, these are just questions that I want you to just kind of answer to yourself. How often do you talk about calories or dieting? How often do you criticize someone else's eating habits? How often do you criticize your own eating? Saying things like, I shouldn't have eaten that. I shouldn't eat pizza. You could insert any kind of food in there that you struggle with. How often do you refer to food as good or bad? Really, food's food. Some foods have better nutrients. It's a better quality of fuel. But it's all okay in moderation. How often do you talk about being good and bad in reference to eating or exercise? Things like, oh, I was good. I didn't have any of those chips at that hall meeting. Oh. I was bad, I had dessert last night. Man, I was good, I worked out extra long today. How often do you talk about your weight? How often do you tell fat jokes or laugh at them? How often do you compliment someone's creativity? How often do you compliment someone's ideas? Compliment someone's sensitivity to others? How often do you say, I love you? How often do you challenge myths about dieting and weight? How often do you discourage self-criticism and competitiveness? Now, it would not be completely truthful if I said that I've never engaged in any of these. The negative as well as the nurturing kinds of positive behaviors. I really don't believe that anyone who talks about weight, jokes about dieting or weight, that they do so to be hurtful. I don't think they do it to be malicious. But I do believe that in our culture, this type of conversation happens so easily. It's almost automatic. We aren't thinking about the impact of our words. We don't think about who's standing nearby and maybe hears us ask, do I look fat in these jeans? I have a very short video clip that um, we're going to show. And thanks to Sonia, because I'm very technically not very savvy, and she figured out how to do this. So um, we have a very brief video clip to watch for a second. Obviously, for some reason, you couldn't hear. There was there were words to this. There was just music, but a few words. Um, but mostly it is the images that I, that I want you to pay attention to. <clears throat> As I said, I really don't think a- I mean, I guess I choose to believe that most of the time, people are not being malicious about their words. But when you think about how much we see of this, I think it really, it can, it can desensitize us. It's almost like it's, it surrounds us and we're not even critical. we don't think about these things critically anymore. And sadly, there are so many people who not only become desensitized, there's that group of people, but then another group of people who start to believe that that's what we're supposed to value, that we are supposed to strive for that. This is how we're supposed to look, and if we look like that, we're going to be healthy and we're happy and successful. And the amount of money that is spent to try to create those kind of images is incredible. Um, so I think that you know it's not just it's not just the images; it's the it's the images in movies and magazines, it surrounds us. And it really does, I think, um, it really does impact us in terms of decreasing our sensitivity to those kind of issues. <clears throat> now, that said, I do, not, I do not believe that media causes eating disorders. But that pervasiveness in our culture does have an impact. <clears throat> A few weeks ago on our campus at Notre Dame, there was a campaign to um, end the R-word. The nature of the word retard or retarded, it's very derogatory. Now again, I choose to believe that most people who use this word don't use it to be cruel or demeaning to those with intellectual disabilities. But nonetheless, our language impacts people. Sometimes we need something or someone to help us be more aware of the language that we use. Part of my job at Notre Dame is not only providing treatment to men and women who have eating disorders, but I consult with a um, a lot of people. And probably the biggest constituency of the people I consult with are friends and roommates who come in and they're very worried about a friend, about a roommate who has an eating disorder or someone they suspect has an eating disorder. And on the one hand, I love those kind of consultations because it indicates that somebody cares, they wanna do something. The other side of that is it's it's always kind of hard for me because as the person leaves, I realize that I've really not been able to say what they want. I've not been able to give them this, The information or the skills that they want, which is really, it's not only that they're concerned, but they want me to be able to tell them what to do to make this person better. And I can't do that. I don't have that, it's not, I don't have those, um, I don't have that mechanism, I don't have that ability to to give them that. Um, But we talk about what the next step is. We talk about them needing to say something. We talk about being direct. And it's I don't have any magic words to help this be an easy conversation for them. And often part of their hesitation in confronting or challenging someone is: what if he or she gets mad at me? Um, I don't want them to avoid me, I don't want them to become more secretive. And it's possible that when they speak to their friend, no matter how genuinely they communicate, how direct how caring they speak to that friend, it's possible that the friend may be angry, that he or she is not yet ready to do something. But it is so important to take that first step of communicating to them, because they can be in their own little world and think that nobody knows what's going on, or this becomes such a part of their world that they don't even realize what's going on. And so when you take that first step to say, I'm worried about you, because you're exercising so much, or you know, I'm worried because I heard you vomiting in the, in the stall. Never an easy conversation, but that's one of those times that kind of chips away at their little world and helps them to realize what's going on. Whether or not they do something immediately or not, you've at least planted the seed. I had two women come in to see me We just had, we're just returning today from spring break. So right before break, they came in, concerned about a third roommate. She had lost a lot of weight and they were concerned. They were saying she not only had lost a lot of weight, but she looked very tired. She seemed really sad, was not going to the dining hall with them, was very withdrawn, and they asked for recommendations for how to approach her. And again, as we talked, it became very apparent, not only were they very concerned about this person that they cared so much about, but they really wanted to figure out a way to make her better. And what we spent time doing was talking about how do you be a good friend? How do you communicate in a loving and compassionate way to someone who's struggling? We talked about what they could do, what they have no power to do. We talked about acting in ways that were consistent with their values, about how to maintain a relationship with somebody if she doesn't acknowledge that she has a problem, or if she's not yet ready to seek help. We talked about how important it is for them to take care of themselves in this situation and not get caught up with that. If you're worried about someone, regardless of the problem, regardless of the issue. Do you want to be silent or do you want to reach out and express your concerns? How are you doing? I'm worried about you. In this situation, there's no perfect words. There's no perfect kind of conversation that you can have. But I firmly believe in that kind of a situation, it is far better to err on the side of saying something. You can go back and fix it. If it doesn't come out quite the, right, quite the way you had anticipated because you're worried and you're scared, that's OK. You can go back and tell, say that to the person. I'm not really crazy about how that came out, but I'm really, really worried. But if you don't say anything, the likelihood of something changing, it's going to be prolonged. I can't tell you the number of times that I've had clients, you know, students who were in my office, I'm seeing individually or in group that have said, I am so grateful that somebody said something to me. Now, at the moment that they they, um, were confronted, they probably didn't think that. But down the road, they're able to say, I had no idea. I had no idea that what I was doing was so problematic, that it was so consuming. I had no idea that it was affecting other people. And that was what it took, was for somebody to say, I'm really worried about you. How can I help? That's what they needed. So far better to say something than nothing at all. While culture and media does not cause eating disorders, it is a factor. And I think sometimes it can seem like it's such a huge, overwhelming entity. It's like, how do I begin to make a a difference? How do I challenge this? What can I do? And so we're left feeling really stuck. But we're a part of this culture. We each have, we can choose the role that we play. We can choose our words. We can choose to speak. So my challenge to you is to be a part of the solution. Create an environment that is nurturing and supportive to men and women. Work to to create a community where our words and our behaviors lift each other up to be the best that we can be and take the time to listen to the story that each of us has to share. We can make a difference, one word at a time.
1: My and my collarbones are sexy.
4: You know, I'm really okay with how I look because I don't have the time to think about it.
5: I like my eyes and my morning hair.
2: As long as I take care of my body, no one should tell me I'm fat.
5: I
3: love that I'm tall.
2: I have the
4: body of a god. (laughs) Unfortunately, it's Buddha.
1: I like my butt because it looks juicy in a nice pair of jeans.
5: I'm a lot more comfortable with myself now than I was in high school. Knowing
3: that I have fancy underwear on makes me feel better about my day, even though I know I'm the only one who's going to know.
2: I love the color of my eyes. They're tie-dyed.
1: I feel comfortable with my body because I participate in sports. Go muscular, women.
4: God made me skinny. Why do all men have to be buff?
5: I've made the conscious decision to not have a mirror in my room at home because when a mirror is there, I spend way too much time hating on my body.
2: I like my girlfriend's belly. The fact that she has one. That she's comfortable with her body helps me be comfortable with mine.
3: I wish I could eat a salad and then be full, but I can't, because I have to dig into the bread, and I'm trying to be okay with that.
4: I've learned to love my body and accept any flaws as being beautiful and unique qualities.
5: You really can't have a body like the photoshopped models in the magazines, so don't even try.
1: I don't have the perfect figure, but I do have
5: goals and dreams and love. So that concludes our chapel for today. Um, like Char said at the beginning, this is the kickoff for Healthy Bodies Week. So there are events every day this week, and I hope that you guys check out the posters that are around campus, the communicator announcements, um, talk to members of g to see what's going on, Um, A lot of these events are for all genders, so pay attention to that um, and have a good day.